Welcome to How I Got Here, hosted by seasoned educator Jeremy Proper. This is a podcast with conversations with his former students discussing their journey from middle school to where they are today. Guests highlight their successes and the life lessons learned along the way. And now let's welcome the host, Jeremy Proper. Welcome to How I Got Here with Mr. Proper. I'll be talking to former students who will tell their story of their personal journey from Mr. Proper's class, AKA Club 128, to where they are now. Everyone has a different path to get to where they are now, and that path may just be the beginning to where they actually want to be. In these podcasts, I hope to tap into journeys that my former students have taken, for them to share their experiences with my current students, And for that matter, anyone else who is interested in seeing how hard work in and out of the classroom actually pays off. So let's welcome my guest today, Marley Kimmelman. Hello, Marley. Hi, Mr. Popper. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. So now that you've had this time to chat with me and get it going, I'd like you to take a few minutes to briefly introduce yourself and please include uh, when you left the Don, where you went to high school, then college, then post-college, and what you're currently doing today. Sure. So like you said, uh, my name is Marley Kimmelman. Uh, I left the Don in 2009, uh, so over 10 years ago now. After that, I went over to Boca High, um, right down the street, graduated there in 2013. Um, and then I decided, I don't know exactly why, but decided to go up to Boston and, and freeze my butt off at Northeastern University. Because it's for, a fun place to be. <laughs> it is. It is a fun place, a cold and fun place. But Oof, I, was there, I was there for four and a half years. Um, I studied international affairs, which is kind of a political science uh, major and environmental studies. Um, after that, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do, but I decided to give law school a try. So I, I moved down to Washington, D.C. and went to George Washington Law School. Nice. Graduated this year, 2021 in May. And I'm currently living in Washington, D.C. still and working as an environmental lawyer now. That is amazing. So you basically combined a passion of yours with something that could help a passion of yours. So environmental studies and law to try to make a difference. Absolutely. And that's really what my plan was. So um, just started, but I'm hoping that I'll be able to make a difference and, and also have a real, a real paying job, which is nice. That is definitely nice. After going to college and spending all that money for all these years, it's nice to actually have someone pay you to do something. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you weren't always thinking about law. You didn't want to be the Esquire that you're about to become. No, I mean, I didn't really have any lawyers in my family, which um, kind of discouraged me from from pursuing it, I think, in the beginning. And everything I knew about lawyers was just from on TV and in courtrooms and and kind of seeing them address juries on television and, and in movies and didn't really pique my interest until I went to college and learned about all the other types of lawyers there are and all the different things you can do and so it was definitely a, a choice later in life and uh, not something I always wanted to do. That's very interesting because most people are like, I want to be a fireman, you know, and then they're like, okay, you're going to grow up and be a fireman. And right. it's it because it, I know for myself, as far as teaching, it was something I always wanted to do. My mom was a teacher. My grandmother was mm-hmm. a teacher, kind of like the family business. So it wasn't really hard for me to figure that one out. 
that's amazing. So it was just something you were like, hmm, I think this is something I might like to do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think you touched on it a little bit in the beginning, but I, I was really more driven by making a difference and, and doing something meaningful. And that was my starting point. And there's obviously so many different jobs that you can make a difference and, and feel fulfilled doing. But um, yeah, I, I think for me, it was, it was through the law. So that was something I, I could really only discover after studying and learning and learning from other lawyers. Um, so, yeah. Well, thank you for that brief description. And again, I really appreciate you coming on and telling my students about your life and your life experiences, because I think that's the only way people learn is either through themselves or vicariously through themselves. And in this brand new medium of podcasting, it allows us to do that. So going along the lines of learning, how and when did you personally get inspired for learning? Was there just a aha moment, a, a light bulb, a, something that happened that you went, oh, I really dig this? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good question. I think really as far back as I can remember, I've been inspired to learn much, which I guess I can credit that to my parents. Um, I think they they pushed me from a young age to obviously I did sports and, and I did stuff outside of school and I had friends and a social life and I was goofy and but um, they, they've always been into learning themselves. And I think that kind of inspired me to um, really focus on it. So I, I don't know if I can think of a specific moment. That's okay. Uh, it's I, always nice that you can look back and say your parents were the reasons that's a wonderful thing because that shows their interest in you. Whereas some kids are like, ah, oh, my parents are shoving, you know, Thomas the train in my face and I don't want to read it. I don't care. This doesn't right. matter. But you were more like a sponge and you saw your parents as an ally rather than an adversary. And I think that's a really good thing. You know, I really think that that nurturing environment helps you go, oh, okay, it's important to my parents. It's gotta be important to me. You know, it, it makes a huge difference. 100%. So your parents may have done that. Was there a specific teacher that may have done that light bulb for you where like the old saying goes, when the student is ready, the teacher appears and you were like, whoa, all of a sudden this makes sense and I want to do this now. Did that happen to you? Absolutely. I think, I mean, I hope she's, she's still around, but she's actually an English teacher, my seventh grade English teacher at the Don, Miss Adamo. Yep, still um, there. That's uh, what I thought. And, and you've been there for so long that I, she's now teaching eighth grade. Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> she got brought up to the big league. She did, but it, good for her because she, she definitely impacted me in, in a huge way. Um, I think, Kind of back to the last question, but I, I always did pretty well in school, elementary school, and nothing was too difficult for me. And I think she saw that and I would come into her class and kind of skate by and, and get decent grades. But she's definitely the first teacher that I had that that didn't take my C plus work uh, as enough. She saw that I, I could give more and do more. And she definitely showed me that um, it's more important to do your best versus just kind of skate your way through and get good grades. So she was great. Um, and awesome. then awesome. I would have to say I had a professor at Northeastern, uh, his name is Professor Daniel Faber, still teaching there. And he taught a freshman course that I, I don't know how I got into, but it was called Environment and Society, which didn't mean much to me, but it was all about um, how we as a society are impacted by the environment and how everything is really intertwined and how the government um, 
can can help people through um, improving their health, improving their environment, uh, whether that's the parks or whether that's uh, the housing they live in. So that kind of made me change my major and, and put me on the trajectory towards law school. So wow, both of well, those, that's, a huge, yeah. that's a huge deviation. Like this one class really made that big impression on you and pushed you in that direction. That's incredible. Absolutely. Like I said, it, it was me as a a young college student who wanted to make a difference and wanted to help people, but had no idea what direction that was going to lead me in. So seeing, uh, seeing the environment as, uh, as a way that, as, as something that affects everybody and learning how it affects everyone, you don't even realize it. Uh, now, was that also something, because I know from your social that you love to travel, like you've been all over the place and absolutely did the combination of the two, like kind of, I don't want to use the word woke, but did that just wake you up? I don't want to say woke. I just want to say wake you up. Like all of a sudden the light switch went off and you went, oh my gosh, look at all these places I'm going and they're so beautiful. And I'd like my children, if I choose to have some, to be able to go to these places. Absolutely. I think there's two major things I've learned from traveling and I've been lucky enough to travel for studying. I've been to Europe. I've been to Australia. I've been to Africa. And there's just, I think the first thing is that there are so many beautiful places and and you see some countries that are are more willing and able to protect the environment and it draws people there and it, it's just such an amazing experience to see from the great barrier reef to that called uh, ecotourism is that what that is it is called ecotourism and um it's such a it's such an amazing thing and um that's definitely inspired me to to be more passionate about protecting the environment and also seeing some of the places I traveled were some of the poorest places in the world. And you see what uh, an environment that hasn't been protected and has been um, overutilized for resources. Devastated, and, yes. <laughs> and and degraded, uh, degraded, sorry. That's okay. Um, degraded and um, the quality of life reflects that. So um, it's really impossible to separate the environment and and people's lives. So I think just traveling and, and learning how people live and where they live and also just the beauty of uh, of the environment and how it's all really all wrapped together. So without a doubt, and it doesn't matter where you go, you can find beauty in anything, but you have to be willing to do it. You know, I am very fortunate, like we discussed before, that I have a partner, my wife, who loves to travel probably more than I do and always wants to find the hidden gems, always wants to go to these out of the way, tiny little places. Like now that, um, I can't remember what channel it's on, but did you see that there's a thing that they're having something for like the 20th or 25th anniversary of Harry Potter and they're having like these Harry Potter games? Did you see that? I haven't, I haven't, but um, that's interesting. So when my wife wanted to go to Scotland, she specifically on the dreariest, worst day in Scotland when we were there, which is pretty much every day because it rains all the time in the winter, she took me to the uh, elephant room where supposedly J.K. Rawlings wrote all of the books. And we went in there on this really rainy, cold, overcasty day, you know, just like Florida, more like Boston. Oh, yeah. and, <laughs> and so I went in there and I was like confused as to where I was because I wasn't into Harry Potter. So I didn't know where I was. I'm like, what is this? And as soon as we walk in, all plastered all over the walls. And I tell that to the students and they love it because they're like, oh, I love her. I love the book. She's amazing. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, one of the wonderful things I got to go see. And 
those are the hidden gems and those are the things that make a trip just amazing or you're watching it on television you're like i went there i went to that place yep. and it just gives you that connection so it really does and i think that's if if people listening to this want to take one thing away from from this episode or anything that i'm talking about is anytime you have a chance to travel whether that's through study or with your family or anytime you can you can leave the us and leave your comfort zone and even travel alone i did some solo traveling and and nothing has taught me more about myself and the world and um forced me to mature quicker than than traveling so that's my one big uh piece of advice if you don't listen to anything else uh that <laughs> well, we're talking about here that's awesome because like it teaches you financial responsibility i got to keep my money together it teaches me that i need to get a passport it teaches me that I need to maybe learn a couple of phrases in a foreign language if I'm going to go to that country. It, it just teaches you so many different things, and it opens up so many doors. And you never know who you're going to meet either. Um, you, you just you never know what's going to wind up happening. You could run into someone, and then they could become a lifelong friend, or you, you just never know. It's, it's The door is always open. So right. if you could turn back time to tell your eighth-grade self some advice, what would you tell them, like, to maybe make your life a little bit easier? Is there something that you could tell eighth grade Marley, like, hey, either do or don't do this? Yeah, I mean, I think first off, I would tell myself to enjoy it um, because eighth grade turns into high school and high school turns into college and college might turn into a career or grad school. And so eighth grade's a, just a good time. So obviously, I would tell myself to continue um, do what I did in class and, and get good grades. And because that really impacts how you start off high school when it comes to grades and focusing on work, it's really not a light switch you can turn on and off. So I would tell myself to continue to focus on that stuff. But also, I think something that I didn't do, and it's, it's really hard for, for everyone to do, especially in middle school, but is to not limit yourself when it comes to trying new things. Like if you're interested in maybe you want to be in the band, go go try out for the band. If you want to play sports, go try out for a sports team. If you want to take a science class, take a science class. I would yeah, I, not limit yourself. Uh, I think a lot of the kids, they're still so, what do people think? You know, that exactly. that, that whole peer pressure thing, it's real. It, it exists. So real. You know? And you're like, oh, I don't want anybody to think I'm, you know, the band kid or I'm the this kid. And no, but you, you have to open yourself up because before you know it, you're going to be in high school. Before you know it, college. And the sooner you have an idea of what it is that you want to do, the, the financial aspect of it isn't going to be as great because if you change your major and completely something different, now all of a sudden it's a monetary thing and it just starts to cost more and more money. So I agree with you. You got to try new things and see how that goes. That's exactly. Awesome. That's and a really I, good piece of advice. I think it kind of brings up uh, a story that I think relates to that pretty well. It was after the dawn, but I was in Boca High and I uh, was on the baseball team. And and what you said about the peer pressure is so true, and everyone feels that. And I still remember friends that would laugh at other people for being in the band or for taking an extra technology class. And I mean, and all and all that is really nonsense. When I was in in high school, I thought about joining the debate team for, for probably my freshman and sophomore year. And I kind of told myself, no, like uh, my friends are on the baseball team. We're, 
what are they going to think if I join the debate team? And right, right. Uh, Ooh, left he's me. a nerd. Exactly. And then finally, I, I kind of got over that and I joined the debate team. And here I am past the bar and as a lawyer. And it was because really those first couple debate competitions I went to and I figured out that, wow, I'm actually a good public speaker and I'm good at arguing and um, I can get a That's point across love. well. And <laughs> That's that the was, law right there. Exactly. And that was a skill that I would have had no idea I had if I never kind of took that leap of faith and didn't care if people said, oh, you have a debate practice tonight. Like, that's lame. Right. And so I think not caring about what other people are saying and, and that's, trying new things. It's so important. That is awesome because that's the crux of it all. We all want to be accepted and not ostracized. We all want to be seen as the cool kid, not as the not cool kid. You know, why are you doing that? And um, for me, like one of the best things ever was we won uh, last year the county championship for academic games for Palm Beach County. And I've been doing it for 11 or 12 years and best I could do was second place. And to win that was just such an unbelievable feeling. And one of my favorite things is I believe I'm the only one at Don Estridge who has a county championship in athletics and academics. So wow. that to me is an unbelievable accomplishment in my work career that, and reality is I just taught the kids. They had to perform and do their thing. So, you know, but they did it and I know I was instrumental, but it's just really cool. So that's yeah. awesome. That's some amazing advice. That is amazing. And I mean, that's just a good story of be how being well-rounded is, is so impressive and, and being able to do both. Sure. You could be a great athlete or you can be great on the academic teams, but uh, being able to do both and, Two county championships, pretty impressive. Yeah, it, it's it's <laughs> unbelievable. And we were always up against Bach, and we, I was like, there's no oh, way we're ever going to beat yeah. those people. But last year just happened to be something in my wheelhouse. It was the 90s, and that's basically my adult moving from teenage to adult years and really paying attention to what was going on in the world. And I just remember when I was looking at all these year-in reviews on YouTube, I'm like, that's important, remember that. Mm -hmm. That's important, remember that. And after it was over, the kids were like, how did you know that like 80% of those questions were going to be on it? I said, because I lived through this decade and I remember these things like they were yesterday. Yeah. So it was easy for me. You just had to remember it. I told you what to remember, but you <laughs> had to do it. So that was really helpful. But That's... yeah, it's, it is incredible. So getting back to challenging, what would you say was your most challenging educational experience and how did you overcome that challenge? Yeah, that's a, another good question. I think it would be hard for me not to say law school since I'm yeah. fresh out of it. And, <laughs> and obviously nothing could be more challenging than that, than three years of, of law school. And especially two of those years or year and a half being online through a pandemic. And so. Oh, I wow. Think, that's really challenging. I didn't even think about that. I totally forgot. Yeah. I, I mean, everyone had to go through it, whether you're in middle school, high school, college, grad school. Um, adjusting to to learning remote. I mean, no one expects that to happen. So, not um, in a hundred years, they didn't. Right, right. It's true. And so, I think I I overcame. Obviously, the difficulties of law school are just. I mean, the stakes are so high. Um, yeah. And do they do uh, something like they do in high school, where they tell you turn to your left, turn to your right, and one of those people will not be there at the end? Do they do something like that for you? They, they don't, but it's it's not far from the truth. Um, a lot of people 
I mean, and, and it's better to, if it's not for you to get out of it early on than, than try and suffer through it. But a lot of people don't make it through that first semester. Uh, yeah, I've heard that before many times, actually. Yeah. So I think for me, it, I got through it by focusing. I knew that I wanted a career as an environmental lawyer before going to law school. And I knew that there's really only one way to do that, and that's through law school. So every time I would come up on a deadline for a paper or come up on a deadline, uh, an exam that I had to study for, I had three other exams that week. And it was, it was almost like I told myself to embrace the suck. Yeah, uh, and it exactly. Sucked. And well, that's tough. it. You, you have to find a way to get over it because you're paying good money to be there. It's right. not easy. And you want to show I have the stick to not to give up. And that's very important. Yeah. And that's that's really what I learned through law school was that life is going to suck a lot of the time. And especially when you're doing something that is hard I mean, being an attorney is hard. If it wasn't, everyone would do it. If being a doctor was easy. Exactly. Everyone would do it. So professions like that and not just that a musician for anything that you want to do that's um that's special is going to be difficult so there's no easy path and i think definitely taught me discipline and time management and and um kind of self um self-motivation so self-aware of what's going on exactly you basically answered my next question which is how did it become make you become a better student or a better person and you literally just did it so that's that's incredible. And you we all have to set goals for ourselves. We can't just willy-nilly our way through it because you're not just going to find yourself in a quality law school. You're not going to find yourself in these programs without having good grades. So can you touch on that? So for your high school, what was your curriculum like? Like were you taking the easiest of easy classes, a mix of hard classes or mostly like really hard classes? No, I mean, I was taking pretty much as many APs and ACEs as I could take. I didn't know if I was going to end up in Florida, so I wasn't sure if ACE was going to help me or not. But um, I somehow I've always been good at getting good grades. It doesn't mean I'm the smartest in the class. It's far from it. I know a lot of really, really smart people that um, didn't get ex- excellent grades. But um, You're just I, a really yeah. good person to study and a good test taker, so you've put all those other things together. I mean, you are a pretty smart cookie, but you have other skills that help you along that way. And sometimes it's, it's about working smart and, and not hard all the time. It's about, yeah, figuring out time management and, and turning in your homework. I know so many students and my younger brother was like that who do their homework and then they forget to turn it in or right. they, they do their paper and they forget to turn it in. And it's just keeping on top of yourself like that was big for me in high school. But Back to your question, I definitely took a lot of AP courses and pretty much as many as I could, and it really paid off moving towards college. It saved me a lot of money. It saved me from taking um, kind of baseline college classes, and I was able to get to the courses I was really interested in uh, quicker than a lot of other students. And I was lucky that Boca High offered so many AP and ACE courses. So that allowed you to kind of clep classes, meaning you didn't actually have to take them. They saw your AP, you got the four or five, whatever it was you needed, and therefore you didn't have to take it in college. Absolutely. I mean, I was lucky enough not to take any math in college. So nice. if you're not a math person and, and you want to get out of that, um, I recommend 
doing that Pretty science cool. anything anything that you're sure you're not really interested in by the time you're done with high school if you can get it off your plate it's a huge help. so you realized this in high school when you were taking these classes oh, no or? idea i had no idea. oh okay i was like wow this kid's way ahead of the game <laughs> no i mean i got to college and it said okay like here's your uh, required courses and here's your ap that covers those so just a check and and move right along so that wow. was a nice little surprise so I, it wasn't even yeah, something that you thought of. That's incredible. So you were just taking them going, well, I hope these help in the future. And then the future came and went, yes, these are helping. You know, look right. what's behind door number one, less classes to take or Absolutely. more interesting classes to take. Yeah. And I mean, like back to Boca High just kind of pushed AP and ACE on us for, for reasons we don't have to discuss, but pushed AP and ACE on us. And, and so I took them and, and I did well enough and it helped out in the long run. That's awesome. So now that you've discussed this difficult, challenging ACE and AP path that you were on, and even when you were in college or law school, what did you do that was just downtime for Marley? Like, how did you unwind after a week of this arduous educational experience that you were running yourself through? What were you doing as, okay, I have an hour, a half an hour, what, a weekend, whatever it was, what would be something that you would do to help you unwind? Right. So I'm a big sports fan, whether that's watching sports, playing sports. Um, so that that's really my, my unwind time. And on top of that, um, I love to hang out with friends and uh, I've become more and more of a foodie. I love to try new restaurants, but <laughs> I think especially in college and in high school, I played well, high school you, baseball, so that was You my went to school plan. in Boston. That's like a, a foodie mecca. I mean, it I is. remember when I went there. It's just, it's got to be even better now. It is a foodie and sports mecca. Um, I lived a couple blocks from Fenway Park, so we would try to go nice. um, every couple weeks and, and buy bleacher seats and, and see the Red Sox. And it, so that's really what I did in college. And I played a lot of intramural sports. My Sports career didn't take me past high school, unfortunately and fortunately. Um, but I played a lot of intramural sports in in high in college, and those were competitive and kept my competitive juices flowing. And um, so that's that's mostly how I spent my downtime was hanging with friends, nice trying new restaurants and and sports as many as I could I could get and watch and play. Unfortunately, I've discussed this topic with many of the students. Um, once you stop playing competitive sports, whatever age it is, that's it. Like it's, it's nearly impossible to go back, right. you know, like, I mean, don't get me wrong. People are like, well, what about Michael Jordan? Like he was still playing professional sports, just a different one. Like right. that dude's never going to forget how to play basketball. Okay. But his baseball wasn't that great, but his basketball uh, monumental, like one of the, the goat, one of the best of all time, Correct. Uh, at least for me growing up. Cause yeah. everyone's always like LeBron. I'm like, <laughs> I have. Well, what is that movie uh, with Jason Siegel in it where he was the, the gym teacher and he's arguing with the kid about Michael Jordan versus LeBron? Like, ever, I see that scene in the movie and I'm always, it's like Bad Teacher. I think that was it I with think, uh, Cameron Diaz. Yeah, yeah, I think it's Bad Teacher. I think and he's right. just arguing with this 13 year old and the kid just doesn't see past LeBron. And he's like, yep. without Jordan, there wouldn't be a LeBron. Yeah, like, yep. exactly. It's a generational thing. It's, right. You got it. Exactly. But. It's, it's nice to know because everybody needs downtime. You can't just run yourself into the ground because you'll never make it. You won't get to the end. You won't finish with the whatever. So it's good to see that even though you were taking these very difficult classes, that you were giving yourself some me time and hanging out with your friends and doing something that was important. 
That's really cool. Yeah, it's so important. I, I know grad school and even college, if you if you don't take downtime, you're going to burn yourself out. So uh, making time for yourself is, is more important than uh, sometimes that extra hour of studying or, or something like that. So going along with the downtime, let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum of having fun to what would you think if you were to go back was your most challenging educational experience and how did you overcome it? I hate to give a second law school example, but it's just so fresh in my mind and so so much more difficult than than everything else I had to do. But um, there's something called journal in law school and um, you apply to be on it and you need to produce um, so original legal research and so much different than any research I had done. And, and obviously you write papers in middle school and you write papers in high school. And a lot of that is you go online, you see what other people have researched and you kind of package that in your own way and, and there's your paper. But once you get to grad school and, and even some college, but definitely grad school and law school specifically, you have to produce your own research, which is come up with your own problem and propose a way to fix it. And you have to cite different cases and you have to cite different laws and regulations. So we had to write, um, it's called a note and proposing a legal solution to a topical legal problem. So identify the legal issue and come up with a solution. So I spent many, many, many weekends. Myself. I was going to just ask you, how long did it take to figure this out? Because it sounds ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, this was how many millions seven... of people have done this before you and trying to find a unique problem is like, oh, my God. Right. I mean, it, it's definitely tough. And it took about seven months. Oh, my gosh. Um, a lot of rounds of editing. And um, I think I had about 100. Wait, wait, wait. I have to I, I have to interrupt. I'm yeah. sorry. It took you seven months to work on one thing. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. It it was a whole year long thing and you have rounds of editing and you have professors helping you and- um, Sounds like a PhD thesis or something. Yeah, I mean, it's not far off. So I think it ended up having about 175 footnotes and- Oh my God. um, So that was definitely the most challenging. And I mean, and doing something like that it becomes, especially when you get closer to deadlines, it becomes everything, becomes your whole weekend. And and pushing through sitting in the library on the weekend was definitely kind of felt like the toughest part of the toughest time in my educational experience. But I overcame it by just doing it. I mean, there's there's no other advice than that, than just pushing through it. I did it. It got you're published. Pu- you're pulling out the Nike example? Just do it. Just do it. Sometimes you just got to put in the eight to 10 to 12 hours in the library and, and hunker down and turn your phone off and, and get stuff done because it turned out to be a paper that obviously someone thought was interesting enough to publish. Wow. And so that was a a good payoff for an incredible amount of work. Hopefully two or three people read it somewhere. What was your reaction to both things? I want to know. I want to know your first reaction is to being done. And your second reaction is getting deeper into what you just said because it was published. So A, explain that, the publishing part. But when you were done, how did it make you feel? And then once you saw it was published, how did that make you feel? I mean, I'd love to give an answer of, oh, I went out and celebrated, but I think I just closed, you know, I mean, everyone knows the feeling of closing the tabs after a project or or (laughs) report or close the, the dozens and dozens of tabs. And I think I 
took like a, a two day nap. <laughs> um, and I didn't, I had proofread this paper so many times. I, I hated it by the end of it and, and thought no one's ever going to want to read this. And because I can't stand it. So, um, that was, it wasn't, it didn't even feel that celebratory to finish it. But I think after a few months, I, I submitted it to a few different law journals and, um, got some really kind of positive feedback and, uh, it was published in the university of Washington. Um, uh, they have a, a, the note was on, uh, water law and, and specifically, um, how to protect, um, uh, how to protect the United States waters. So, nice. um, they have a, a water law specific journal, so they took it and published it, um, last year. So, that's it's incredible. one of those things that sits on my shelf and who knows if anyone actually will read it, but, um, it got published somewhere. Got published somebody somewhere. read it. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. That, that is so amazing. And I, I am blown away by your answer because like, I know me, I would have been like, this is great. I'm finally done. And yeah. Oh my God, the burden is off me. But you even went further. Once you were done, you went, and tried to get it published. Whereas most people were like, I'm done. I don't care. Right. And you went to the next level. That's incredible. And that is a very challenging experience because this is something that, I mean, forget middle schoolers, most education, people who've gone to education to college, they, they don't experience that. This is a law specific thing. So that's just an astronomical amount. And like I said, you, your JD um, is the, the doctorate of law so in essence that's what you're doing but that's an incredible incredible experience and then for it to turn out in such a way where it got published that's tremendous and you know that just wow that's yeah. that's an unbelievable thing that's one challenging educational experience that's Absolutely. for sure i think i i getting that published at the end i needed some uh some positive reinforcement after the rounds and rounds of some affirmate positive affirmation right right i'm so. good enough i'm smart enough and i deserve it Everyone exactly. needs it once in a while. Of course, we all need that. And you put that much effort into it. And here's the other thing, though. Look at it this way, man. You put yourself out there. Like, you had to do this. You didn't have a choice. You weren't like, yeah, I just feel like doing this for fun. Right. This was something you had to do. And then, like I said, you could have just been done. I turned it in. I got my grade. I did what I needed to do, and I'm finished. No, you kept running with this ball, and you went to the next level. And like you said, somebody published it. They could have been like, this is the biggest piece of crap I've ever read in my entire life, and right. I can't believe you turned this in. Instead, they said, no, we're going to publish it. That has to be a tremendous feeling because it's not like where everyone's PhD gets published because that's how it works. You went to a law uh, journal review, and they publish that. That is incredible. Don't sell yourself short at all, man. That's an incredible accomplishment. Of course, wow. I appreciate it. No, I mean, that's incredible. I have, my mom has her PhD, and I remember what she went through, and it was nothing even what you're talking about. It's to the next level, and they just publish it because they publish everybody's PhD. It's just the way they do, but you found a journal that would do it for you. That's incredible. Yeah. So if you could look at your time back at the Don, and as a school after you left the hallowed halls, was there something that you learned that you were like, oh, wow, I really wish I would learn that in middle school. And you kind of like found out about it in high school, but obviously we can't go back in time unless you have a time machine, H.G. Wells. But um, was there something you learned like once you left that you were like, oh, man. Yeah, I think two, two things come to mind when I think back on my time at the Don. My memories. Uh, a little hazy at this point. It's been a while, but I think two themes 
that definitely stick with me is that I think that the teachers at the Don are still some of my favorite. And I, I think that's just because they, they care about the students. I mean, Mr. Proffer, that's, he's right now running a podcast on his own time to, to help students understand careers. And you have teachers like that at the Don. And I already talked about Mrs. Adamo and, and there's so many amazing teachers there that really went above and beyond. So that was something I definitely didn't value. And you go to high school and there's more students and it's just teachers have less time and you go to college and there's even less time. So I think valuing teachers at care, that was one thing I definitely remember about the Don. And another that I think I've realized in the last couple of years, the value of just the diversity of students that come to the Don. I don't think I realized when I was there that there's students from all over the county, all over Palm Beach County, which is one of the biggest counties in the country. And there's such a diversity of, of backgrounds and, and economic status and languages and everything. And the people I was friends with at the Don were not people that were in my neighborhood growing up. I, I kind of left my, my childhood friends that all went to Boca Middle and, and came to Don Estridge and made friends from Boynton and from Del Rey and from Riviera Beach and, and all over the county. So I think that such an important time in my life where I was socializing and, and becoming more of myself to be able to be exposed to so many different types of people that I'm, I'm still friends with some of them today and obviously wouldn't have met them in my normal life outside of the Don. So those are the big two that wow. stick with me. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really nice to hear. And I tell that to the kids all the time. I go, this isn't your homeschool. And if you went to your homeschool, you would just know the kids from your homeschool. And just like Marley said, he got to meet people from all over the county that maybe he hadn't even been to that town. He knows it exists, but he hadn't been there. But yet now he knows someone from that town. And many of those people are still friends with him all of these years later. That's incredible. Yeah. So what did high school show you that you didn't know that the Don taught you? Was there something that you got to high school and you were like, wow, I didn't even remember that I learned that in middle school. Was there something that stood out? Yeah, uh, uh, let's see. Something I learned in the Don. That really you didn't appreciate or you didn't understand that, that uh, you learned it and then you got to high school and you're like, wow, how, how did I know that? Like, oh wait, that was middle school. Oh, now I see more validity to what middle school did. Yeah, I think, just the standards that the teachers set for me in middle school. I think um, a lot of the times I kind of thought, oh, they're just threatening me with, oh, this isn't quality work and this won't fly in high school. I think I didn't quite believe them until I got to high school. And um, teachers just have less, less patience and um, they have more students that they're dealing with. And if you don't put forward your best work to start, they're not going to kind of coddle you or, or baby you into getting better. You're going to kind of get passed over. So I think doing my best work on the first try and, and kind of dotting my I's and crossing my T's, I think I learned that in middle school. And I think that's something I took to high school with me. And it put me on, uh, I think, a step above a lot of students that went to other middle schools that um, maybe didn't have as high of a, a academic standard or, or just 
school standard as, as yeah that was my as leading as question and you seem to um counsel always seem to be one step ahead of me um i was going to ask you now do you feel like that made you ahead of your colleagues when you went to high school and you've already answered the question and said yes and Absolutely. that's what i try to explain to these kids look you're going to dynastries you're getting a quality of education that you're just not getting anywhere else you just don't right. understand it because you're doing it now when you go to high school you're going to realize what i'm talking about I remember for years, there were kids that would come back all the time and they'd be like, Mr. Prober, I went to school and the first day of school, they were like, how many kids went to Don Estridge and four kids raised their hand in like an English class. And like you said, they all had Miss Adama and they were like, oh, well, I know who your teacher is. She's already taught you this. For the, so for the first week or two, you really don't have to do anything. And all the other kids are like, what the what? What do you mean they don't have to do anything? And yep. the teacher's like, they went to Don Estridge. They already know how to do this. And it was like, burn. And they didn't, you don't understand it while you're in the, the, the mix of it. And then once you leave, you're like, whoa, I'm a lot more prepared than I thought. And it really makes a difference. And I appreciate you saying that because I'm the old broken record saying it all the time. And they're like, oh, old man, you never went to high school here. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, I know that. But the students come back and they tell me, hence why the podcast is alive and kicking. Yep. So, so true. It really is. I mean, obviously, everyone only goes to one middle school for the most part. So. It's hard to know while you're in it, but definitely appreciate the teachers that care about you and and the level of work that you do is is far superior um, than most other middle schools around. So I think that's something that you never you can never appreciate that when you're in it, but you will when no, you're in like, high school. It's and, like everything else. I mean, you under you appreciate law school now that it's over. And there were times like you were saying when you're writing this ridiculous paper, you're like, why am I doing this? And yep. now that it's over, you're like, now I get it. And that's basically it. It always takes a minute for you to appreciate what you had now that it's gone. Is there something that right, you right. could appreciate that is, is in the rearview mirror and you're like, hmm, if there's something else? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's hard to talk to someone while they're in it. But I think that middle school, I never loved school and it, it's it might be shocking to hear that from me because i did extra school two times extra school that that no one even made me do but and you excelled uh, at it so it's like wait, i was not bad what? at it but um i never really enjoyed school and, and until it was over i think year by year i look back but i had some of my best friends uh, in middle school and and i think it was the first real um kind of time in your life that you have some freedom to make your own decisions. I mean, I rode the bus to school and there's just so many things during the day in middle school where you're maturing, you're, you're deciding who to hang out with and what groups to become involved with and whether you're going to take school seriously or. And those were all Marley's choices. You know, right. you got to make those choices. That's what yeah. middle school really is. It's That's all about making choices. Yeah. It's yeah. making the right choices. Well, Sometimes making the wrong ones, but at least learning that you exactly. made the wrong one. You're never going to make all the right choices. No one does. It doesn't matter if you're your age, my age, young, old, everybody makes mistakes. That's what life is all about. But if you learn from it, you can move forward. Exactly. And I think that was, that's what I remember most fondly is just the freedom of um, Don Estridge and um, being guided by good teachers to make those right decisions and learn from the wrong ones. and. Um, I might not have enjoyed all of the schoolwork and all that and and no one's saying that that everyone has to enjoy the schoolwork, but it's important and I think that 
Um, that was the first couple of years, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, where I decided kind of for myself that I was going to excel and I was going to work hard and I was going to focus on school and not go down the wrong path or not hang out with people that thought school was lame. And so, um, because I think that, that's a huge part. That last part, I think, is very, very important. And, you know, everyone wants to be liked and everyone wants to have friends. But sometimes we have to realize that maybe the people we're with aren't the right group of people. Right. But in middle school, maybe even, I mean, we can talk. We're, we were both boys. It's not the easiest thing to do. And just to pick up and say, okay, these people are bad. I'm getting in trouble. My grades are in the toilet. My parents are on my back. Maybe I should try something else. Right. And most of us are just not that mature to figure that out. And that becomes an issue because if you're hanging out with the wrong people, they're not going to go in the direction that you want. And they, what is that? Misery loves company. They want right. to bring you down to whatever misery they're in. And then all of a sudden you're like, why am I doing this? But again, the maturity factor. You have to be ready to do it. And it's good to see that you found some good kids and you got some good friends and they're still friends of yours. And it has made a difference. So going along that line, was there some inspirational quote that you kind of drove the bus with that was like, okay, this is going to guide me to where it was that I wanted to go? There actually wasn't. I remember printing it out on a little eight by 11 printer paper, I think probably when I was in middle school and, and hanging it above my bed. And I think I used it most for sports back then, which I was, I was most interested in excelling at, but I think it's something that stuck with me and, and can kind of be used in any, in any facet of life. But it's actually a quote by an old famous football coach. Um, he won the first Super Bowl and Super Bowl trophies named after him, but it's a Vince Lombardi quote, an old football coach for the Packers. And he said, Winning isn't a sometime thing. It's an all the time thing. You don't win once in a while. You don't do things right once in a while. You do them right all the time. Winning is a habit. And I think even just that bottom sentence, winning is a habit is something that's stuck with me, whether that's doing good in school or getting your homework in on time or anything in your life. It, if you want to succeed in it, it's got to become a habit. So it might be tough in the beginning, any habit, you form is maybe tough in the beginning, but um, any positive habit, I'll say that is maybe tough to start in the beginning, but for sure. Um, I tell the kids all the time. I'm like, look, you have to rename all of your stuff. You have to retrain your mind. Stop thinking about it as studying. Think about it as practice. I'm practicing. I'm not doing homework. I'm practicing. I'm not doing this. I'm practicing. Stop calling it the negative word and make it into something positive. You have the ownership ability to say whatever it is that you want to say. Call it whatever it is that you want to call it. If you hate studying, call it something else because not studying just leads you down the path of really bad grades. You know, unless you just have a photographic memory, you hear it, see it, read it once, and poof, you can recreate it over and over again, that's not going to work for you. So trying to change what it is because you still have to study but maybe call it something else. And that's the perfect way to explain it is just make finding the positive out of something. You have to do it no matter what, you know, yeah. and what are you going to do? You're going to quit school at 16 and go work at McDonald's. I tell the kids all the time. I said it when you were in class, would you like fries with that? Poof, you can get a job. But in Palm right. Beach County, where are you living? Nowhere. Yep. You're not going to have enough money to buy a car. You're not going to have enough money to go out on a date. You're not going to have money to do anything because what is McDonald's paying you? 14 15 dollars an hour well that's not going to 
pay for anything. Right. So having that plan, having that idea, having that work ethic, and winning is a habit, you know, just like losing teams. I mean, the Detroit Lions, like, are they ever going to win this year? It's not right. looking too promising. No. But just like winning's a habit, losing's a habit too. And you have to learn how to break that habit. So if you're studying incorrectly, figure out what kind of learner you are, your auditory, kinesthetic, hands-on, and then find out the learning techniques for those. And then you're studying, like Marley said an hour ago, you know, study smarter, not harder. It just makes a huge difference. But right. You know, when when the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. So we have to change because the situation's not going to. Exactly. That's excellent. I really like that quote, and I've always been a big fan of Vince Lombardi. Lombardi, excuse me. He's very, very inspirational, and the things that he said even 60 years ago still hold true today, and that's what makes it so great. Right. So yep. as I try to end all of these podcasts the same way, because you've you know been out of the dawn for as as the kids say a minute, um, do you remember who Don Estridge was and what he did? Oh, finally an easy question. <laughs> of course, I could never forget. He uh, he did he create he helped create the uh, first IBM personal computer, right? You are correct, sir. Oh, I knew it. <laughs> finally, get to throw out the claps. I always forget I have this soundboard. Um, yes, he invented the personal computer and supposedly at Don Estridge at right. the building, which is aptly named after him. Uh, it's, it's incredible that this building was a secret building that many Boca Ratoans or folk, whatever they're called. Sorry. Um, I don't know. I, uh, they would tell me, is that building new? And I'm like, no, it's been here for like 30 years. They're like, I've lived here my whole life. I didn't even know it was there because yeah. it was a canopy of trees and it was hidden. And then they donated it once they weren't using it anymore. And that's why like the science rooms have poles in the middle and the kids are like, why is this this way? Because it was an actual secret IBM facility where the personal computer was invented. Don Estridge is the father of personal computing. I love to ask engineers that question because it's on the tip of their tongue and they know the name and they just can't remember. And I'm like, you wouldn't have a job without him. So, yep. Yeah. He might be I'm certainly not an engineer, but he might be uh, the only person in that space. I'll, I'll probably never forget. I definitely. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, right. his name is on the building and yeah. we try to make sure that all the kids know the history. I can't believe that you remember, which is incredible. So on that note, Marley, you have been an incredible guest. Thank you so much for coming on. And I'm sure you're going to inspire a ton of future lawyers who are going to go, hey, if he was able to do that, I could do that too. Mm. That's basically the whole point of the podcast is that you get to come on and tell your story and, you know, your highs, your lows, your medium flows and whatever it is that you've been able to do because you did it. I can only tell so much of the Marley Kimmelman story for you. It's your life and it's your story. Absolutely. I, I'm so glad that you uh you're including me in this and this is such a great idea and i i hope that uh there's at least one one young lawyer in your class who, who oh, hears this and hopes without a doubt and, without, uh, and i'm sure the parents will be like you see if that can do it so can you yeah being a lawyer can be cool and you can do some pretty amazing things thank you for listening to how i got here podcast with mr proper music provided by miss mata Thank you to Patty Fernandez for the introduction. Thank you to Seth Proper for logistics and behind-the-scenes production. Join us next time for another episode of How I Got Here and more stories of former students and their journey.